This is a very strange and frustrating story. To have your family member stolen, murdered, then missing. I'm Connie Walker, and this is Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo. It's such a mystery, such an impossible task. Please, help us find her. Finding Cleo. If you'd like to hear more, you can find the full season wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Damon Fairless. So, Monday was the first day of 2024, and it was also the first day of a new era of professional hockey. Here it is, Daniela. The past, present, and future women's hockey meet right here. The inaugural puck drop. Blair Turnbull, Alex Carpenter, face-off. It'll be New York that gets first possession. That puck drop at Toronto's Madame Athletic Centre on New Year's Day was the first for the brand-new professional women's hockey league, the PWHL. I know this is the birth of women's professional hockey that are going to make it. Mm -hmm. We have the best players in the world, which is really important. I mean, I am so excited. For now, there are six teams, like the NHL when it first launched in 1942. Even the jerseys, well, they look a bit like throwbacks. No logos, no team names, just the names of the cities the teams are from. And both the players and the folks behind the new league are optimistic the PWHL will succeed where other women's hockey leagues have failed. Haley Salvian covers women's hockey for The Athletic, and she's here to tell us about the new league, the excitement, the optimism, and the challenges that lie ahead. Hey, Haley, thanks for coming on Front Burner. Uh, yeah, hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So uh, you and I are talking on Wednesday morning. For folks listening on Thursday, we'll have had two games behind us. There's the inaugural New York-Toronto game and Montreal and Ottawa. Uh, I, I guess I'm curious, first of all, how, how's the play? How's, how's the play on the ice so far? Oh, it's been really great. The uh, the um, Toronto-New York game, which was the first ever game on Monday, was I think there was a bit of jitters, a lot of nervous mm-hmm. and excited energy. So it took maybe a couple shifts into the first period for everyone to kind of get settled um, because they had the puck drop. It was very emotional. Billie yeah. Jean King is there. A true trailblazer in women's tennis. She redefined the athletic landscape for female athletes through her exceptional skill and unwavering determination. That game specifically was really physical. I know that was a really important thing for the league and the players was to have a rule book and referees that allow players to have a little bit more contact, get a little bit of spice back in the game. So that was, um, it was a, a pleasant surprise and really welcomed by a lot of the players. Alex Carpenter from the New York team said after the game, she's like, that's exactly how we want to play. That's how we want the game called. So Lots more physicality, which was great. In the second game between Montreal and Ottawa, it was um, it was great. I mean, they set a record for attendance uh, in the Ottawa game, over 8,000 fans there. So the atmosphere was unbelievable. And the gameplay, it was really fast. There was a ton of skill, obviously, of Mary-Philippe Poulin on the Montreal team, best player in the world. And the, the goal that Haley Skimura scored to score the first ever goal for the Ottawa franchise. The point, bringing that into the middle. Boyd. Big shot in, it touches down! Ottawa's first goal! 
you know, beautiful top corner snipe beating Anne-Renee Debian, who's the best goalie in the world. So she doesn't get beat clean like that mm. often. So I just think that the games so far have been really fun and such a, a great glimpse at what's to come this season, which is, you know, fast, skilled, physical, and, and good hockey. And the players deserve it. And it's a great product. One of the things I found really cool in one of the stories you wrote about that first inaugural game, the New York Toronto game, was this really cool energy between the young players, like some of the girls coming out and they had like Spooner jerseys yeah. on, Shelton jerseys on. And, and that there's this dynamic between these fans and the players. I, 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 I found it really electrifying even just to read that. What's it been like to, to see? It's been really cool. I think one of the great kind of scenes, and I included it in the story I think you're alluding to, was uh, there were these two young girls with some Ella Shelton gear mm. on. They had signs for her, and, and she skated over at the end of of warm-up for New York and, and saw them mm. and flipped them a puck. And the puck actually landed in the lap of an older gentleman sitting next to them. And the you know you could tell that he was going to give them the puck. Like, he wasn't going to keep it for himself, but Ella yeah. made sure that she looked at him and said, like, give the puck to the girls. Like, that's for them. Oh, that's so cool. And so that cool. outreach from, like, those... Like those girls are going to remember that forever. You know, yeah. I grew up watching the NHL, obviously, because there wasn't a pro women's hockey league like this. And I remember, you know, meeting Sidney Crosby in 2008. And I'll never forget that day. You know, those are like such, you know, huge days for sports fans. And you'll lock in on that player and that team forever. It's amazing to watch. It's just like the NHL. And that's what you dream of, right? Like as a little girl, I'm like, I want to play in the NHL. So it's so cool to have like this league now. They look really powerful and strong. And I think it's really cool that they can play hockey too. I know that at one point in life, those girls were the same as where I am now. And they were, they were young and they were just trying to work hard and make it to where they are now. And I think now that they're there and now that they have their name known, it's something that everybody should be, should be so proud of. I think for young girls to, to watch these games and look out and say, I can play women's pro hockey one day. Like they can see a future in it, but I think it's just as important for young boys to be in the stands and look out and see that women playing hockey is normal too. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's just as important as having young girls in the stands. So it was, uh, it was really cool to see that. So, so right now there's six teams. There's Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, New York, Boston, and Minnesota. They're all owned by one guy, Mark Walter. Can, can you tell me a bit about him and, and the way the leagues run? Yeah. So Mark Walter is the billionaire owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He and his wife, Kimbra, are the <laughs> sole owners, which is, I guess you could say, unique if you're looking at the NHL as an <laughs> example, because there's you know, 32 different owners or different ownership groups and Gary Bettman's the commissioner and this league is is set up a little bit differently. Um, but they believe this is what this league needs in the early days, which is one owner with deep pockets. I think his valuation on Forbes right now is $5.9 billion. I mean, he just signed Shohei Otani to a $700 million contract. You know, these are these are people with very deep pockets and they're willing to invest in not just a major league baseball star, but women's hockey. And the single entity ownership structure is essentially going to allow every team in the league to have, you know, equal investment, equal opportunity. You know, everyone's on the same playing field when it comes to their resources and investment from their owner, right. because 
everyone's owner is Mark Walter. And I think that's something in the early days that's really going to help. So we're seeing, I think, a smart businessman get in on the ground floor of women's hockey and he's making the investment and he's probably going to be better for it when you look at how everything's growing in, in women's sport right now. And is the sense from the players that they'll be better for it too? Like, I'm, I'm curious about the vibe. You, you mentioned, you know, yeah. there were jitters on that first game, which <laughs> is to be expected, but, but also just like generally speaking, looking forward into the future, coming from a past that, as we'll talk about, has been, been, you know, been a little shaky, mm-hmm. but like, how are they feeling about the formation of the league? Oh, I think they're feeling pretty good. I know it was, um, you know, bittersweet at the beginning because the Premier Hockey Federation was purchased and and ceased operations in the summer. So there were a lot of players who'd signed, you know, big contracts to play in that league. And then the league folds and and there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of players ended up, you know, losing their jobs. And, you know, some of them are making less money to play hockey than they thought they were going to be. Others just aren't playing hockey this year anymore. So it's bittersweet when you look at the constriction of the workforce that has Mm. happened because of the dissolution of the Premier Hockey Federation. Um, But in terms of the professionalism, the resources, the investment, the infrastructure, like this, this league has things that we've never seen before in women's hockey and players know that and players are, are happy about that. I spoke to a player who played in the PHF last year and you know, she said that every year it was improving and getting better in terms of professionalism. But at the end of the day, they just didn't have enough money right. to to make it uh, as good as college, essentially. You know, this new league is is professionalizing it. It's growing it. And I think the players feel a lot better about the access to resources they have. I mean, these players have full-time locker room spaces now um, right. before they would have to bring their bags in every day. So all these teams have like full-time staff. Um, they get meals provided just after games, after training. And my sense from players is that, you know, it's still very early, but but things are feeling better. You mentioned things like, you know, meals and accommodations which seems reasonable but can you kind of give me a sense of of why that why the collective bargaining agreement is so important to the players yeah i mean it's significant because they've never had one before there's never been a collective bargaining Mm. agreement in women's professional hockey and when you're looking at just women's pro sport in general there has never been um, a cba ready for before the start of a season and the wmba it didn't come until year two in the nwsl i think it came in year 12. The PWHL was created with an eight-year collective bargaining agreement. The players have a union. On average, players will be paid around $55,000 American. There's things that could be better. Um, things like salaries, they're still pretty yeah. low, but... Well, and what are, can you give me a sense of what they are? Yeah, so minimum salaries are $35,000, and that's kind of laid out in that CBA. And then the there is no salary maximum. It's just that uh, six players need to make at least $80,000 or more on three-year deals, which would be guaranteed contracts. So that gives them around a, each team around a salary cap of $1.2 uh, million. So okay. I know that there are some players who are making, you know, a hundred. $110,000 in this league. Um, but that's kind of just the the top, top athletes. So right. the salaries still have a way to go. But I think one of the things that's important for the CBA is, is all the other things that are kind of baked into it in terms of benefits, 
um, that makes those lower salaries a little bit more livable. So other items that are covered in the CBA are per diems on the road. There's housing stipends. There's relocation expenses. Players get health insurance. There's pregnancy benefits, a 401k program, like moving expenses were covered. $35,000 a year is not a livable salary, but I think the CBA and what the players... And the Players Association was trying to achieve was, you know, making the entire package um, better as a whole for for every player. So, so this this half season, I, I guess, it, is it? It's more like a compressed season, right? We've got twenty four regular season mm-hmm. games, but in a lot less time. Um, so, the first game in Toronto was sold out. What, what's the demand for tickets? Do you have a sense of what the demand for tickets is like for the season so far? Uh, there is demand for tickets in Toronto. All of their home games are sold out this season. They're playing in the smallest rink in the league. Um, it's around 2,600 capacity, so they'll need to get into a bigger building for next season. But the demand is there for tickets in Toronto. Um, the the Ottawa team, they've sold out their first few games. So far, the demand is there. I mean, merch is sold out. The merch lines at the game in Toronto and at the game in Ottawa yesterday were very, very long. Hmm. Uh, it's, you know, like people trying to get... Taylor Swift merch or something right. at the Eras Tour. Uh, so lines were very long, takes hours to, to get a jersey in the arena. So I think the demand has been there for sure, which has been cool to see. This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. From ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts, six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to kind of go into the history, like that, you know, you've written about the, the tumultuous years leading up to the formation of this league. Uh, and, and I kind of want to get into that with you. So uh, just as a, cause it's a little, it's a little complex. There's a lot of acronyms. Yeah. So maybe just as a starting point, we can start with the, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, the CWHL. Sure. Mm-hmm. What were the challenges with getting that league off the ground, running that league? <sighs> so <laughs> the Canadian Women's Hockey League, I know the big exhale because there's just so much here. The Canadian Women's Hockey League was, you know, truly and technically not a professional mm-hmm. hockey league. It was formed in 2007 by a group of athletes who were looking for a place to play. Um, essentially, the league they'd played in before folded and they the players just kind of came together and said okay we've got to do something here like we we can't have nowhere to play they kind of just created this league it it was a registered amateur association so it operated as a charity (laughs) so they needed like sponsorship and donations so players didn't receive a salary um paid for their own gear you know in some years had to pay to play to get all the operating costs off the off the ground you know there were some small bonuses paid to the best players, but like nobody made a living playing in the Canadian right. Women's Hockey League. And that was the biggest problem is they just weren't paid. And and their kind of whole model was essentially to get taken over 
by the NHL. I spoke to Brenda Andress. She was the first and longtime commissioner of that league. And, and she pitched the idea to Gary Bettman of, you know, a WNBA type women's hockey league where the NHL takes it over. They're under their umbrella. And that was the bottom line was they wanted to be the WNHL one day. You know, Gary Bettman told them, you know, now's not the time. And, and then eventually the U.S. based National Women's Hockey League launches. Right. And that kind of started the, the split of women's pro hockey. And, and the NWHL was paying players. It was the first professional right. league to pay players a regular salary. Um, it was a for-profit entity. So it launched in a very different way up against the Canadian Women's Hockey League. And women's hockey went on for, for a long time as just two different competing leagues, um, which wasn't good for the sport. And, and, and as far as the, the NWHL went too, there was a boycott at some point too, right? So in 2019, the Canadian Women's Hockey League folded and the players in the CWHL or the players from the CWHL and NWHL, I should say, kind of got together. A lot of the national team players got together and said like, enough's enough. Like, I don't want to be in another league that folds. I don't want to be in another league that doesn't pay me a lot of money or I don't want to be in another league that, you know... <laughs> I don't get a meal on the road or I, you know, I don't get treated like a professional athlete. So that's when the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association kind of came into play and, and they did their launch and, and they said that they were going to boycott and not play in any pro league until women's hockey could get the, the resources, infrastructure and investment that they believed they deserved as professional athletes. So that was kind of the start of the boycott. They grab the puck and go bursting up. They're down across the line. In 2018, a lack of funding collapsed a women's game. The good old hockey game is only that when it's good to everyone. This is step one towards rebuilding a future. For the game we all love, we need others to step up too. Because the best game that you can name should be the good old hockey game. Okay, so, so basically this all got resolved last summer. Can, can you kind of take me through how we ended up where we are now? So the big day in the summer would have been June 29th, um, which was in the middle of the PHF's offseason. You know, they had announced this landmark salary uh, cap. You know, everyone's signing all these contracts. Everyone's signing all these big deals to play in the PHF the following season. Um, but then the PHF players and staff were, were given three hours notice about a virtual town hall meeting where they logged on and were told that the league had been purchased by Mark and Kimber Walter and that the PHF would cease operations. And the players were told that their contracts would be terminated and that a new league would be coming. But, you know, a lot of these players uh, would kind of lose their jobs and, and were put in, in a state of limbo, essentially. <laughs> Okay, so once the league came together, it came together, like, really quickly. And in fact, it kind of reminds me of, like, a train pulling out of the station while they're still laying down track ahead of them, right? Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot of things that are still being worked out. It's really exhilarating to to watch. And one of the things, you know, I, I mentioned in the introduction of the, the jerseys, which are these generic, old-school, kind of classy, mm -hmm. classic-looking things with the city names running down them. So among the, the many things I suspect the league's working on, do, do you have a sense of what the planned is for for branding and naming the teams yeah so i think the the branding obviously is one of those things that have been 
one of the hiccups in this kind of six month sprint to get the league going. You know, league leaders have told me, you know, there are decisions that you can make quickly <laughs> and there are things that you absolutely need for the start of a league. And that's, you know, <laughs> venues, the, the original six markets, you got to pick where you're going to play. You need right. team staff, you need league staff. And, and I think they kind of got to a point where they said, we could have team names and logos and jerseys. We could have that in six months, but they're going to be rushed. They're not going to be that great. And that was one of those things that like you just can't get wrong. Mm -hmm. And so they decided from a team name and, and branding perspective, it was just better off slowing down the process. Now I think they'll be able to get into these markets and, and spend more time locally with their fans and, and see mm -hmm. what the vibe essentially is for lack of a better term there. And, and, you know, they're working on it and, you know, they're going to have team names and logos eventually. So uh, it, it seems like Mar Mark Walter, the, the league's owner is in this for the long haul. It seems like he's, you know, expecting to burn through some cash for a while, you know, to, mm -hmm. as the, as the league's kind of incubating and, and, and starting up. How, how challenging do you think it's going to be to make the PWHL financially sustainable over the long term? Yeah, it's a good question. It's so hard to answer when we're we're talking on day three of the league's existence, right? Yeah. But I, I think I feel more optimistic about this being profitable. And when I say this, I mean women's pro hockey being, you know, profitable than I ever have. It's gonna take some time, I think, for this new league to become financially sustainable like they're gonna need one of those more traditional broadcast deals where they're making money to to get on television right they're gonna need more people consistently buying tickets and we're, we already talked about the demand right like these games are sold out in, in a lot of these markets so that's gonna be important is getting butts in seats uh, people right. buying merchandise things like that so Mark Walter is you know he got into this because he saw this as a savvy business investment but yeah it's gonna it's gonna take some time it, it always does and, and this is and this is again like on day three this maybe isn't a fair question but I, I guess i'm curious like if you look at the nhl it took 25 years to grow beyond those initial you know the six original teams right uh, mm -hmm. presumably <laughs> no one's thinking of that timeline uh, for this do, do you have a sense of what the if, if not the plan then like what the hopes are for league expansion over the next few years yeah they want to expand um League leaders are not shy about saying this is not going to be a 16 league forever. Right. When that happens, I'm not sure. I think it's important that it happens sooner rather than later as we talk about this kind of constriction of the workforce. You know, there's a lot of players who just don't have anywhere to play. So whether that's expansion into new markets or some kind of expansion into like a development type league, mm. like there needs to be more opportunity for, for women to play. There can't just be six teams. Right. I know that there are some markets and, and teams and, and people already kind of saying like, hey, are you are you guys expanding? Like, can we buy in? Can we get a team here? So I know that those are conversations that, that are already happening in, in terms of expansion. When that happens, I don't know, but I, it will. And I feel very confident saying that. Haley, thanks so much. It's, it's great talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. All right, that's it for today. I'm Damon Fairless. Thanks for listening to FrontBurner. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.